everybody, and welcome to Attendance Bias. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. My guest on today's episode of Attendance Bias is Scott Makita of Wook Plus. We've had Tim of Wook Plus on the podcast previously, and those guys do such good work that it was very exciting to dip back into the well and have another member of their team to talk about a favorite jam. Today, Scott chose to talk about Cavern from April 5th, 1998 at the Providence Civic Center in Providence, Rhode Island. There's something about the island tour that is indefinable, something both concrete and abstract that makes it meaningful to so many fans. It's come up at least twice before on this podcast, yet anytime it's come up, no one has brought up this show April 5th, the last night of the four. When Scott suggested the song that closed the second set of Night 4, it was an obvious choice, but it was still a meaningful choice. You can hear in his voice how joyful Scott was at this show, to hear and to witness a version of this fan-favorite song that sounded unlike any other version played before or since. So let's join Scott to hear about why he loves Deer Creek so much, why Fall Tour is the best of all, and what the Island Tour meant for the Cal Funk era. Let's meet today's guest. Scott Makita, Wook of the Year. Thank you for coming to Attendance Bias. How are you? I'm doing great, Brian. Thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. And I am very proud to introduce you as the Wook of the Year, as designated by friend of the podcast, Wook Plus. Tell us a little bit about that and how you're involved with them. I've kind of gotten into the Wook Plus gang uh, from the inception, probably uh, towards the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, somewhere in there. It gets a little foggy, but I've become very good friends with some of them via the internet and then meeting them in person on tour this year, including Famer, uh, Kevin, the great went, Chad and uh, Tim, the, the, the weekend Wook. I uh, still have a couple to meet, but, you know, I've done some ghost writing, I guess you would call it for them a little bit where I've kind of participated in uh, a, d- a couple different writing assignments, as well as just kind of taking the helm on my own with some of them that were published through uh, th- through their channel. It's a lot of fun. Those guys are so great. I've met them a couple of times, a small handful of times, I guess, between us guesting on each other's projects and again, meeting them at, I think, Atlantic City this year at the fan art show. Right. So yeah, all good there. And you also have something that you work on and distribute on Twitter called the Daily Skydom. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I kind of got the idea from, you know, a, a mutual friend online, the uh, Tyler or host at host of G was doing a trinket of the day thing. And he's got a massive, I mean, massive pin collection. Um, so they were, you know, from, from where I saw it, it was a lot of uh, like a daily pin type of thing. And it gave me this idea and started looking around my place and realizing I have a ton of, fish merchandise i could probably do one thing a day for the whole year so i decided to do it i called it skydom because i'm scott these are my <laughs> items and just kind of mesh the two words together and uh you know it's been good the, uh, the biggest the key factor behind it for me is um really just kind of tagging the uh, artist or the vendor in the post so that if people like it they know where to go to buy it and uh, if they want to purchase some, one of the things. And it's worked out really well. You know, I've gotten a lot of good feedback from people saying, thank you. You know, I went and bought this immediately after seeing your post. And I mean, that's really what it's all about. I'm just trying to, you know, give back to the community that's been so good to me. 
over the years. So, and how can anyone listening get involved with that? Where where can they find you? Uh, it's on Twitter at Scott Mick uh, one hundred four is my handle, or you can just the hashtag Skytem S C I T E M, um, and it'll pretty much you can see the whole collection right through there. And is the handle at S C O T T M I K? Yes, it is one zero four at the end of that. All right, and I'll put it in the show notes. So anyone listening, if you want to get involved with the Daily Skydom, just check today's show notes. There will be a link for Scott's Twitter handle, and you can take it from there. So, Scott, today we are here to talk about Cavern from April 5th, 98 at the Providence Civic Center, since renamed the Dunkin' Donuts Center. The island tour seems to hold a very special place in the history of fish and particularly fans who were of a certain age at that time. And so before we get into the lightning round, let's just acknowledge it here. Why did you pick Cavern of all the songs you could have picked from the Island Tour or that you've seen otherwise? I think this specific version of Cavern is exceptionally unique uh, in its own right. I don't I don't think there hasn't been a single version played like this before nor after. Um, and it it just organically came out of this like funk explosion towards the end of uh, uh, Possum in the set. And it took a shift and a direction change that I don't, it was just so magical being there and feeling the funk come out of this. And uh, definitely a moment that I, I would never forget from being in attendance for. And I'm excited to get into it toward the end of today's episode. But before that, let's take it to the beginning and get into the attendance bias lightning round so we can get to know you a little bit. Attendance bias lightning round. So, Scott, when was your first fish show? My first show was December 30th, 1995, Madison Square Garden. I tried very hard to get New Year's Eve tickets. It didn't pan out. So I took the consolation of the night before. Great I remember show. reading from people who went to that New Year's show without tickets that it was one of the first times, as far as arenas go, that people showed up expecting to get tickets and they couldn't. I remember hearing a lot of people saying it was the first time I was shut out is a lot of people's memories from New Year's 95. that They just are used to going to fish since they jumped to arenas from 94 to 95, that it was right. a given. They would never really sell out, especially at Madison Square Garden, but they did. Right. Completely different time then, too. You know, I remember going to the mall to get tickets from uh, Filene's or JCPenney or something like that. Just a completely different system back then. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Everything's changed, you know, whether it's Pathmark, totally. Filene's, Tower Records. Yeah, it's a different different game today. Uh, so if New not New Year's, but the night before New Year's 95 was your first show. What's your most recent show? Uh, the second night of Hershey, which I believe the date was 8 11 21. Um, really fun show. Uh, nice little five day run I did from Deer Creek to the two shows in Hershey. I well, wish yeah. I didn't jump off right then. I could have <laughs> met you in Atlantic City, but yeah. uh, things had to come to an end for me there. What are your overall impressions of the past summer tour of 2021? I think it's some of the best playing I've heard from the band in many, many years. Uh, I, I felt Overall, the playing was a notch ahead of the Baker's Dozen for me. So I don't know if we're going back to summer of 15 or possibly fall of 13 since I've heard them just playing so well together, like connected on stage and just uh, 
really getting into it. I thought it was a great, great tour. Those are some bold words. I, I realize <laughs> that, but I'll stand behind them for now. Well, this is called attendance bias after all. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite song, All Else Being Equal? I would have to go with uh, with Fluffhead. I think Fluffhead is quite the adventure of a song. Uh, lyrically, it's, you know, very fun. And then musically, it's, you know, Fluff's Travels kind of takes you into that. Almost like you can picture, you know, this person going going through uh, the, what the lyrics are telling you. And it's, it's just, I love the composition uh, part of the song. And then I really just, I, I think the eruption uh, when it hits, you know, arrival, when the fluff head part comes back is just one of the best moments in fish, I agree, uh, especially to catch live. So do any um, versions uh, in particular stand out in your memory? Um, that I saw personally, I would yeah. say the Clifford ball for sure. Um, 96, that was definitely one of, uh, the better fluff heads that I caught. And then maybe Darian Lake 97. Another nice first set. Um, very underrated show overall because of the madness that happened in the second. But yeah, uh, that's the show with uh, the Merry Pranksters, right? Yeah, Ken Kesey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little uh, it's a little out there in the second set, but man, that's, that's a very solid show that isn't talked about much. Probably because that part is a little tough to listen to if you weren't there. But it is, you know, at Magna Ball. I think I don't remember if it was Magna Ball or Super Bowl. Might have been Super Bowl, but. After the show one night on that big screen that they had, it must have been Super Bowl. They had this big, like huge TV right near where the drive-in set ended up being. And after a show each night, they would play from the archives. They would play video. And I heard the bozos part from that show. And I, I, I immediately recognized it immediately from tapes from years and years of listening and I'm like, I know I got to see what this was. And you're right. Seeing it is a completely different experience than being yeah. detached from it simply as a listener after the fact. It was wild on, in person. There was a lot of madness on that stage. So <laughs> yeah. fun stuff. As Ken Kesey would have it. Of course. The only way. What's your favorite indoor venue? MSG, hands down. The Madison Square Garden has such an energy to it. It feels like Kuroda has that whole room captured with his light rig and just makes it go in every different direction can drop it down to the floor if he needs to. And it's just such a wild venue. The energy is always great in there. And uh, again, attendance bias, I guess I've been there probably more than anywhere else, but I, I love the garden. What about your favorite outdoor venue? Uh, for years, you know, being uh, in the Northeast, I, I, you know, working and everything else, kids, wife, I, I didn't really get the opportunities to travel um all that often so for years it would have been the meadows or whatever it's called now in connecticut and hartford but after going to deer creek uh this summer i, I would say that 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 venue is very magical it's it's just the energy there is incredible uh the lot scenes great i i just i really enjoyed my time at deer creek this summer if you had to pick one would you take summer tour fall tour or a new year's eve run you know, this question's tough for me. I, I love the energy and like the feeling of freedom of summer tour with the outside amphitheater kind of venues. Um, but then, you know, you get that that fall tour brings like a different energy to it. And, uh, you know, it's almost like the band 
really appreciates being indoor and letting Chris take over the light, the lighting rig. I don't know. It's just the energy is completely different in fall and summer for me, but, and, and then there's the, the new year's run is, you know, that just means they're going to be at the Mecca at the garden. So it's like, I could flip flop this easily, but I, I would say fall is, is my favorite time of the year to see them. I, I think the fall runs have always been great. Maybe it's again, Regency bias from doing a lot of the Connecticut to Worcester runs for fall tour around Thanksgiving time through 97 and 98. But, uh, yeah, fall tour is just a lot of magic for me in that, those years. So, or in that time of the year, and they've become increasingly rare and, in a True. way, more valuable. Absolutely. Any songs that you're chasing? You know, believe it or not, "Kill Devil Falls" is uh, something I'm still <laughs> chasing. It, it it seems remarkable to me that they haven't played it a single time that I've been to a show. But uh, one day. Did you see any shows in 2009 or 2010? Because if you saw two in a row, chances were they would play Kill Devil Falls. I did see two in a row in 2010, back-to-back nights at uh, Hartford. It was not played. It was not played at Hartford in 2009 either. So I just, yeah, I guess I got unlucky based on the Regency, but. Shame on them. Right. Any song that's chasing you that you can't get away from? I mean, I wouldn't say it's a complaint by any means, but Chalk Dust Tortures played just about every other show that I go to. So, I mean, that's, I guess I've seen a lot of good shows because Chalk Dust usually brings the energy. So, And I guess you started seeing them, you said, at the end of 1995. Chalk Dust Torture has never really taken a break. It's never been out of the rotation. Nope. But it's played very often. And uh, like I said, if there's one song that's certainly chasing me, that one would be the top. Right. And no complaints, like you said. Absolutely not. Overall, your favorite year of the band? I would have to go with 97. 1997, just the cow funk era, that that whole fall tour run, the holiday run. Uh, even that summer tour, I thought, was phenomenal in 97. Um, but overall, it would be 97. I'd have 98 right behind it. You know, those would be my top two years. So they kind of blend together almost in a sense. But what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen at a fish show? So I struggled to figure out when uh, when this actually was. But this this one time, I want to say it was late 1.0, possibly Hartford, New Haven, one of those Worcester shows I was talking about before. There's this 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 younger kid, probably maybe 18, 19 years old. And he's sitting in a chair while the show is going on, you know, the lights and the music and everything is happening. And he's got like a little mini flashlight and he's reading page by page, the fish book with a little flashlight, like not during the show, not getting into the music at all. This must have went on for, if not the entire first set, probably three quarters of it. What venue talking was multiple this? songs? It was, it was just absurd to me. Do and you, I didn't and have it in remember... me to just like shove them and be like, dude, get up, look around. Like, what, what are you doing? You can read the book later. You don't know when it was, but do you remember where it was? Like, was it even an indoor or outdoor venue? It was definitely indoor. And again, I want to say it was part of a, you know, Connecticut to Worcester fall run somewhere in there. I, I feel like the, the book itself was being sold um, at the merch stands, like, you know, inside the venue, but outside of uh, the arena itself. Cause I remember walking by and like seeing, Oh wow, they're selling the books here and stuff like that. And 
you know, there's pictures in it. And I mean, he's, he's flipping through and focusing on the pictures of the lights and stuff. And I'm, I, I, it, it just blew my mind. Like, how could you not just get consumed by this while you're here and deal with the book later? Uh, it was, it was very odd to me. It's funny thinking about it that way. What do you do with a fan who's literally reading the book I, it, at it a show? Odd timing. Odd, they keep odd telling timing. us. Very strange. When was this show played? The Island Tour seems to be a really popular topic of conversation on this podcast. Even within the last few interviews that I've had, a lot of people bring up the Island Tour. They pick a jam or a show from the Island Tour. Somehow everything comes back to it. So your choice, I feel like we've discussed on the podcast, at least a lot about this show, about the context. So rather than talking about the Island Tour as a whole, I tried to focus in specifically on April 5th, the last show of the four nights. So today's show, April 5th, was the final show of the four night Island Tour. The band recently wrapped up a four night New Year's Eve run in December of 97. And in the spring, they were recording for the story of the ghost. After the first few songs on night one at the Nassau Coliseum, Trey said, quote, thanks for coming out. We were getting bored at home, so we wanted to do some shows. And of course, crazy cheer. I mean, there's nothing better than the band, you know, deciding to cut into their schedule and just say, hey, let's play for the audience. I remember uh, reading at the time that this was a crazy milestone marker that the band didn't pay for any advertising at all for this show and it sold out all four nights so like a harbinger of what's to come in the future of at least internet advertising 37 days notice that's it or about to happen with no advertising you know barely a month barely more than a month to get your stuff together and decide whether or not you can go find a place to stay whatever the case may be but i don't think another tour has ever been announced with such short notice like that that at least in recent memory that i can think of and where were you living at the time Uh, i was in connecticut so you know rhode island's not that far it's a couple hour drive um to get to pretty much the other side of the state but it was uh it was pretty much a no-brainer for me unfortunately i wasn't able to do the long island part of the island tour i only was able to do the rhode island parts but uh just because of work but I was very, very pleased with my decision of going to those two shows. Sure. Well, they were four for four on this, oh, yeah. on this mini no tour. They batted a thousand. And for the two fans out there who may not know, the Island tour is made up of four legendary shows. And like we suggested earlier, just the phrase, the Island tour is spoke of in kind of reverent tones by fans. It's as if the band couldn't do anything wrong at the time. Just every note was on, on point. Every show was on point. There were memorable jams, no matter what they were playing or how they were playing. And it is pretty incredible, like you said, that they booked it with only 37 days notice and they slayed all of them. They, every, you know, this, this concept of warm up shows that we pretty much, at least I subscribe to now, didn't exist. You know, it's, it's pretty remarkable that you have this long running history of playing music where they were, we're talking about 38 years now of being on the road. And then the fish companion comes out the book um, by mockingbird. I guess it would be the, the third edition one. And they have certain shows marked as top 100 shows of all time. Three out of the four Island tour shows are in that top 100. 
And uh, surprisingly, 4-2 over 4-3 and then 4-4 and the 4-5 show that we're talking about are all top 100 shows, according to this book. So it just goes to show how legendary, you know, these shows really were and how great the playing was and everything just came together so magically at all four of these shows. I'm glad you brought up the top 100 for each of the four shows because I grew up about 10 minutes away from the Nassau Coliseum, yet I wasn't able to go for uh, for reasons unrelated to fish. I had other commitments and I was only, I think, 16 at the time. So I wasn't fully in charge of my own schedule. I didn't have a car either. I always considered the third to be the best night of the four, mostly because of that roses are free. I also listened to the second over and over again because it was the first tape I got from that run. So in my head, it just kind of became this um, this kind of the Coliseum shows over the Providence shows just because I had easier access to it. And more people talked about that roses are free over the next couple of years than any other jam from the island tour in my small circle. But as I'm getting older and the more I've listened to it, a good friend of mine has been pushing April 4th over and over again. He thinks it's one of the best shows he's ever seen. And I've come around on that one, but I must be giving your show for this podcast, the fifth kind of short shrift because I never really paid much attention to it. To me, it was always kind of the extra night of the tour. Yeah, I may have misspoke. Uh, oddly enough, it, it is actually 4-4. That is the night that's not part of the top 100. Uh, the other three nights made it. but. This four or five show to me is it's definitely my favorite. Now, I, again, I I agree with you. A lot of people are on the four three train because of the roses, which which you know is fine. It, it, you really can't pick a wrong night, as far as I'm concerned. With right, all, all of these shows have their own personality. Absolutely, and they're all somewhat different in their own special ways, but all you know equally magical somehow. And as you mentioned earlier, this cavern closed the second set of the fifth. So this is the last night of the four, the last set closer. And it was the end result of a crazy funky jam out of possum. Trey even introduces that jam by saying, you know, the show's almost over. Thanks everyone for coming out on short notice to these shows uh, where you can go home. I think he says you can turn around and go home if you want, but we're going to stick around and play some more funk music. He says, you can stay too, if you want to dance. I think it was, if you want to take off, take off, but we just can't get enough of the funk. And, you know, again, another just monster mental eruption from the crowd at that moment, you know, during that announcement. So nobody was leaving. <laughs> nobody was taken off at that moment. We were all in. So it's uh, the end of this little four-day run here. So it's kind of It's been really fun. And it's kind of weird having to stop after four days. But for those of you who came to a lot of the shows or for those of you who just came tonight, thank you very much. We really appreciate everything. And uh, I started this little funk group because we can't, uh, we can't end this whole thing without a little bit more funk since that's kind of been a thing. So just for those of you who want to take off, take off. But for those of you who just want to dance to the funk, you know, uh, we're going to stay around and keep moving. Were you there the night before? Yes, uh, I was there for four four, which again I thought was another fantastic show. I mean they they played uh, I think they played Birds of the Feather, Birds of a Feather for the second time yeah. in three nights. I think they played it on four two, and then again on four four, they were just like, oh, you want you know new songs, no problem, and they'll just they just kept playing uh, you know some good stuff, and then I think. Uh, 
the brother, brother reprise, I think it goes. So four, four had a lot of magic to it too. Um, again, I, you couldn't go wrong with a single night. And even listening back to Nassau, it almost makes me like, you know, I'm kicking myself. Like, why wasn't I there? Why wasn't I there for those two nights? Well, what do you think it is about the Island tour? Everyone has their own reason for saying it's so great, but there are other shows in 1998. Like there's a lot of amazing shows that year. You said that even after 97, you might consider 98 to be your favorite, but the, a lot of those shows don't have a similar reputation. What about it in your view, of course, because there is no real answer is it makes the makes the Island tour the golden child. Again, I would go back to the, again, 37 days notice after them pretty much announcing there wouldn't be a spring tour, you know, after the, the New Year's run in 97, it was like, okay, we'll see you this summer. It really didn't seem like they had plans to come out. Um, and then they got in and the story of the ghost and they, it seemed like they were just restless and wanted to get back out there and play a few shows and bust out some of these new songs. And uh, when they made that announcement, you know, with 37 days to go and put it together and how it came together as the Island tour with two shows in Long Island and two shows in Rhode Island. And then, you know, once you get into the music itself, the synchronicity of all four members is just top shelf. I, I mean, every night, like we were kind of talking about, you can, you can find these moments in a first set and a second set in each of the four nights uh there there are just so many magical moments sprinkled throughout you know i, I know 98 is considered the the summer of covers when you get into summer tour and everything else but the playing was so good at the island tour and so precise and in sync and it, it was not i don't think there was a member outshining another member i think just every all four members were just on it at all times So let's talk about Cavern specifically. It closed the second set. And for the first minute or so, there's no indication that they're playing Cavern. It comes out of that standalone funk jam, which itself comes out of Possum. And it doesn't sound like any Cavern played before or since. Like if there's any modern connection or an analog, I guess it would have to be the funky the slow llama from 2015 from Walnut Creek. Like that seems to be the best comparison I could think of. If there is a comparison to make, that's probably I would say that is the most accurate. So, yes, I agree. Yeah, I get the I get the feeling that at the time it was played, that train knew it was time to wrap up the second set. And Cavern is kind of the set closer. Right. Whenever the band needs to close the set, that's usually the first in line. If they hadn't played it yet, 
right. but they didn't want to get out of the funk jam. So they had it both ways. Surprisingly enough, the end of uh, Possum, where it seemed like it was about to peak in a rocking kind of way or in a bluesy rocking kind of way, I guess. But the last maybe 20 seconds, Trey kind of switches into the funk groove. And it, it just kind of changed the direction of how they were going to end Possum. I, at least to me, that's how it sounded. Where the rest of the band seemed like they were going for you know, a big peak and Trey kind of slowed down and started to funk it out. And then, you know, if, if we're considering the funk jam that leads into cavern, part of cavern as live fish has it listed in their track listing, the first, I think it's 39 seconds is just Trey playing that funk rift. Yeah. Nobody, nobody, nobody touches their instrument for these full 39 seconds of just Trey playing this real funky riff and then Trey and Mike come in together on it at that 39 and Mike is just explosive. I mean, he is just thumping away on the bass and uh, you know, the, the next, I think four or five minutes are just that there's a lot of stops and little drum fills from fish, almost a couple little drum solos even. And then start back up where all four members again, and then another stop and another little drum solo from fish. And it's, you know, there's just so much fun. And then as you were getting to where, you know, you're probably five, maybe six minutes into this funk jam, listening back to it, at least you can hear where cavern starts. Yeah. Yeah. You can hear that that moment being in that moment. I still had no idea that we were going into cavern. And yeah, I think it's you're not listening now for because it. I know that's what they're playing. But at the moment when I was in it, it was just it was a dance party. And I didn't you know, I wasn't even thinking about what this is. All I knew is I really liked it. And it's no super idea. fun that you talked about the track listing kind of affecting how one listens. I wasn't listening to the live fish release. I was listening to fish.in. I was okay. listening to the audience recording and after possum the jam itself is listed as a separate track so i did not associate it with cavern you okay. can just skip straight to cavern at the time that you mentioned when the chords come in yeah it's almost like trey hits that like a slide yes. into it and it's just there but again being in that moment i had no idea what was going on until the lyrics start and the second that the lyrics come out of his the first word of the lyrics that place erupts again it was like we just went through this when you told us if we want to take off, take off. But we're going to stay, <laughs> stick around and keep playing the funk. And now it's like, oh, my Lord, this is actually cavern. And the place just goes bonkers. Please. 
I will say that that playing this song at half speed or maybe even slower than half speed really does expose the silliness of these lyrics. And absolutely. And kudos, you know, to to Tom Marshall and Scott Herman. I've had Tom on the podcast. Uh, He's a great guy overall. And we all love his lyrics, clearly. And I think the story that I read is he and Scott Herman would email one line at a time to each other until they had a full song's worth of lyrics together. And that's how they came up with Cavern. Awesome. Which is why they, it doesn't really make any sense. You know, it, there, it's not really any. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. At the it same does time. and it doesn't. That's you know? that's fish in a nutshell, right? Exactly. It does. Does it make sense? It does. And it doesn't. It definitely works, though. Like so much of Fish's cow funk. Like you said earlier, Mike dominates this and Trey vocalizes during the uh the solos in between the lyrics, like he does in Cavern, if it were 1991. So it is Cavern and it isn't Cavern. You know, I think the, uh, another surprising point is the, the lyrical change, right? The original, the original verse goes back to like the original lyrics from long ago, which now I was at eleven twenty six ninety seven in in Hartford, which also had the alternative lyrics. So to me, it was like, is this a new thing? We're bringing back this <laughs> original, and then like I, I never heard it again after the the Island Tour night. But I, it was almost like back to back caverns. They had alternate lyrics at the end, and it was great just to uh, mix it up a little there. That's a pretty nice, uh, a little nice feather in your cap stats wise. Yeah, it's not bad. I, I, again, I enjoy the lyrics either way. So whatever, whatever works, you know, my favorite thing was they got through all the lyrics without screwing them up. So it doesn't matter which way you want to end that last verse before the chorus. It it all works out. So yeah, for Cavern, for Cavern, that's an accomplishment in itself, let alone throwing in alternate lyrics. Yeah, 3.0, and you know, it's it just doesn't have a great success record of them getting through the lyrics anymore, unfortunately. But uh such a great song. And this version, it's just top of the charts for me. And by the end of it, it sounds a little bit more like the cavern that we know. Absolutely. It's like they're the whole chorus is like back into the original speed, the original timing, like everything is like back to normal somehow. We just ended the funk jam without it really ever stopping but yet here we are it was just magical magical moment
And more than ending the funk jam, I had the thought that this song may have closed the Cal Funk era as a whole. Even though it's 1998, we all think of 97 equals Cal Funk, even though the band clearly gets funky today. Once 98 came around, they developed a newish sound, like more ambience coming through, uh, longer jams with uh, more spacey sort of effects that rolled over into 99 and 2000 became even more techno and beat centered. I felt like this cavern was kind of, all right, we've done everything we can with this unique quote, cow funk sound. This is it to its extreme. Thank you for having us get ready for 1998. You know, I like to think of it outside of cow funk. It's to me, this cavern is so, I want to call it swamp funk. Because it's okay. so dirty and grimy. It's 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 different than the cow funk. It, it is full on swamp funk to me. And I think that's really the change from 97 to 98. Like, yeah, okay, maybe they were trying to brush that off with the island tour in a couple moments where that that funk was still there, but it was a different kind of funk. And I don't know if that was due to different uh possible effect pedals. Or, you know, a different rig for Paige at that point. I'm not sure what the change was, but the the funk seemed a little dirtier on the island tour than it had for full tour in 97. There's just something extra to it to me. I agree with you. It is a bit thicker. Yeah. It's certain yeah, it is, and it's slower, I think, yeah. which is which is hard to say. You know, when you listen back to stuff like Black Eyed Katie from the oh. New Year's run that you mentioned in 97, that is slow going. Oh yeah. That that twelve thirty ninety seven show too, boy. Oof. Oh, of course, another, yeah. Another magical moment at MSG. What a Definitely. show that was. I was, you know, the, the my first show that I mentioned, the twelve thirty ninety five. I was eighteen, and for this island tour show, I had just turned twenty one the week before. So maybe that's another big part of why the island tour is so special. But it, it's not just me; it's everyone. So it's hard to put that. But to me, it was like. This is the first real party I'm going to is are these two Rhode Island shows. I'm 21 now. I can do whatever. And it's just a, a new sense of freedom almost. It's just so, so great. So Scott Makita, Wook of the Year. We are graced by your presence. Thank you so much for coming on. And let's just remind everyone one more time about your Twitter account, Skydom, and what they can find by following you so again it's at scott mick 104 s-c-o-t-t-m-i-k 104 i'm doing a, a daily skydom it's a 365 days of this year um so one a day i'll try to tag the vendor or artist that i got it in so if you know you like anything that i'm posting you have the opportunity to to find it yourself and you know purchase it and make it part of your collection so Thank you so much for having me on, Brian. I uh, I really do appreciate it. And it's it's great reliving this moment and talking to you about this guy. And that's it for today's episode of Attendance Bias. I'd like to thank Scott Makita of Wook Plus for joining me today, Fish.net for providing all the information we needed throughout the conversation, and Fish.in for a very solid recording that was used for today's episode clips. If you enjoy Attendance Bias, please support the show. The best way to do that is to leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast app. You can also reach out to me at any time on social media. I'm most active on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
you reach out and say hello, I'm happy to send you a free sticker. So thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next week on Attendance Bias. Thank you.